0: The government totally wants to provide surveillance on every part of your life. They want to know when you're eating. They want to know if you're eating a cheeseburger, which
1: is very bad because Bill Gates wants you to eat his fake meat that grows in a peach tree dish. So Wait, you'll probably get a, a, a peach tree dish. Of Marjorie Taylor Greene she said a peach tree dish. Maybe it's a Georgia thing.
0: Well, I don't- I fall off my chair And I'm wondering how i get down the stairs Clowns to the left of me Jokers to the right Here I am stuck in the middle with you From
1: Pacifica Radio, this is the broadcast As heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles Elsewhere in California on KFOI, Red Bluff, Redding, KKRN, Round Mountain, KGOE, Eureka In Oregon, on KYAQ on the Central Coast, KSO. In Cottage Grove, KEPW in Eugene. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, WLRI. Maui, Hawaii, KAKU. Columbus, Ohio, WGRN. Palinville, New York, WLPP. In Rochester, New York, WRFZ. New Orleans, Louisiana, WHIV. Gallup, New Mexico, KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire. WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas, KPSQ, Seattle, Washington, KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin, WADR, Minneapolis, St. Paul, AM 950, KTNF, and coast-to-coast coast and around the globe, streaming on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing the Globe five days a week, usually hosted by Brad Friedman of bradblog.com, but he and Desi are standing down for a few days. Who can blame them? So uh, in their place, you got me. I'm Nicole Sandler. I host The Nicole Sandler Show. I'm based at nicolesandler.com, and that's where you can find anything and everything I do. So I invite you to come over and check out the website. There's no paywall there. So explore. Have fun. Have fun. And then come back (laughs) because we got a lot to talk about. So we're just coming off a holiday weekend. I hope you had a wonderful Memorial Day. One of the things that kind of bugs me about our military, among other things, is the fact that it seems so dominated by right-wingers. And even on January 6th, we saw a lot of military and former military people. And it got me to thinking, what about us? What about the progressives? Are there no progressives in the military? Well, of course there are. So for this Memorial Day, I decided to find a progressive veterans group. We'll speak with Naveed Shah, political director of Common Defense. They're at uh, commondefense.us. But first, I hope you had or have access to HBO or HBO Max. I don't usually push a paid television service on anyone, but in this case, there's a method to my madness. And it's all about George Carlin, who I consider to be the greatest American comedian in my lifetime. Well, his daughter, Kelly Carlin, who's been a frequent guest on my program over the years, decided it was time for the definitive George Carlin documentary and so she got together with her pal Judd Apatow and the result is George Carlin's American Dream it premiered last week on HBO and HBO Max it's a two-parter and worth every second of it so we'll take a very quick time out and come back on the other side with Kelly Carlin George's only child and we'll talk about George Carlin's American Dream I'm Nicole Sandler, your guest host today on The Bradcast. It's Nicole Sandler back with you today, guest hosting The Bradcast. Now... I'm always happy to be able to talk to Kelly Carlin. But today, we are not talking about training or mindfulness or things that we usually do talk about. Today, we actually get to talk about George, Kelly's (laughs) father, the one and only amazing George Carlin. Kelly, welcome to the show and congratulations on this project. Tell us about it.
0: Thank you, Nicole. Always wonderful to be here. Yeah, this project super duper excited about it I have been wanting to do a documentary for about five years and we had a bunch of other things going on and never the right people the right situation quite clicked and then about four years ago I uh, was approached by a big producer in uh, the UK a guy named Teddy Liefer and he had just uh, produced and won the Oscar for a documentary called Icarus Okay. And I was like, and I watched it and I'm a big cycling fan. So I was like, wow, this is a great documentary. And I was like, I was impressed with this person. And he's, he and I had a bunch of conversations, just an amazing human being, smart man. And finally the timing was right. And so uh, early uh, 2020, January, 2020, we started looking for directors and uh, talked to a lot of amazing, filmmakers some of them my heroes and then uh we also talked to another person who i love and adore judd apatow and it was like huh he ticked every box he ticked the storyteller the high eq the fact that he's a comedian the fact that he's interviewed comedians the fact that he was best friends with one of my dear friends, Gary Shandling, and he did an incredible documentary on Gary. Oh,
1: that's right. We saw that. That was very good. It was very different. Yep.
0: And the thing about that, what he did with that doc was he really revealed Gary, like Mm -hmm. the true Gary that those of us who know Gary know. And I thought, this is the guy, this is the guy who's interested in what makes people tick in letting people really be themselves and, uh, so we, we jumped in with him and it's been, it's been a lovely, incredibly lovely experience, the whole thing.
1: Oh, good. So you, the, you are an executive producer on this project.
0: Yes. Yeah. I'm an executive producer with, uh, also Jerry Hamza, who is my dad's manager, who's my partner in all things with my father uh-huh. and, uh, you know, and then we have some other producers and Teddy and stuff like that. So, yeah.
1: And, and you're interviewed at, is it okay? I've got the trailer here. Is it okay if I play that? Sure. It premieres on HBO this Friday night. It's a two-parter, yes.
0: Yes, yes. So each, th- each part is each night, Friday night and then Saturday night. Oh, cool. Okay, so we got the weekend planned.
1: All right. <laughs> so here is uh, the trailer for George Carlin's American Dream. George Carlin. Hey, baby, what's that? <laughs> we got <laughs> bags, jerks, and dips and they all vote. Uh, he was
2: funny. He was smart. He was opinionated. I wanted to be just like him was just so
1: cool here's the list of words you can't say all the time <laughs> and the crowd goes crazy <laughs> <laughs> they
0: arrested me for profanity the supreme court restricts the broadcast of dirty words
1: i'm gonna jump to it right now he's the beatles of comedy
2: i began this dream of standing in front of people and having their attention
0: My mother was his biggest champion. She just had a way of lifting people up and believing in them. They were comrades in arms, but then what happened was super stardom. My mom was alone all the time. She's feeling left behind and now the drugs are there. And that really did undermine everything in our family. I did as much cocaine as there was in
2: the immediate three-county area at that time. (laughs) He had collapsed in on himself. My career began
0: to wane. I had to find my
1: voice. 1988 we were gonna go to the show to laugh at him because mm. he was this older comic and Carlin came out with like a howitzer
0: now they're thinking about banning toy guns and they're gonna keep the f- real one he didn't want to be that George Carlin anymore He wanted to be a different George Carlin. what I really was was a rebel we
2: can't educate our young people can't get health care to our old people but we can bomb the shit out of your country all right <laughs> Stand-up's the hardest thing. He did the hardest thing for the longest time.
1: He was challenging society to be better. Life is sacred? Who said so? God? Hey, if you read history, you realize that God is one of the leading causes of death. George is still relevant. He changed comedy three or four times, and he's still talking to us. Things that he was getting at were so profound to the culture.
2: What would you do if you were the planet trying to defend against this pesky species? Mm, viruses. They try to divide people so that they can run off with all the f- money. This is the glue that binds us as a nation.
0: It's the American dream, because you have to be asleep to believe it. Come on and win.
1: Yeah. Wow. George Carlin's American Dream, again, it's a two-parter on HBO and HBO Max. Kelly Carlin is with us. I'm so excited about this. You know, I first found out about it when you tweeted the trailer. It's like, oh, my God, what is this? <laughs> then, of course, I, I, I messaged you. It's like, okay, so what's your involvement with it? And I was thrilled to see that, yes, you are hands-on. Um, You know, we already learned about your dad. From you with your book, uh, Carlin Home Companion, which I adored. And then you did a show, a one woman show, which was great. And, um, you know, it's how I got to know you. And now this is it is it uplifting and sad at the same time working on something like this? How does it make you feel going through his work to compile Mm -hmm. this?
0: Great, great question, Nicole. You know, I was not the day-to-day person on this. Really, this is Judd and Mike Bonfiglio's story and and their baby. Uh, what what is always difficult with this is that yes, the scab of grief gets itched again, mm-hmm. and so then here he is now, and now it's now I'm in, you know now I'm thinking about my childhood again, and now I'm looking at pictures of my parents, and now I'm discovering footage that I've never seen before that, you know, Mike and Judd are showing me. Um, I'm discover, but I'm also discovering other things. I found my parents love letters that I had never Um. even known that I had. My dad gave them to me 25 years ago. And um, so, you know, it's, it's been a little bit of both, but you know, whenever you turn back towards your life and towards, you know, the complications of a life, um, all the emotions, all the feels get stirred up. (laughs) Sure.
1: But that's what you deal with, you know, and your, your, your regular world, your day job, as it were, is in not traditional therapy, but therapy, It's working with people on getting in touch with your emotions. If uh, if I'm describing it wrong, please correct me.
0: Um, No, absolutely. And, 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 you know, and part of our, our history, our personal history is always a part of what, makes us who we are and, and is the foundation for the stories we live into. And so, you know, there's always an updating of our story that's going on. And certainly my writing my own book, doing my solo show is me trying to make sense of my life and make sense of my story. And now putting this out, you know, this is, this is more than my dad's autobiography. Last words. This is more than my memoir, yeah. a Carlin home companion. This is, you know, a a version a vision of my dad's life and our life as the carlins because it very much is about the carlins also um that you know other eyes and hands have been on and have looked at the full spectrum of and and the totality of it all and so i'm extremely proud Mm -hmm. about what they've done they've done an incredible job with it um and you know, it's, it brings up emotion to talk about. It brings up emotion to watch. It was really hard for me to watch the first rough cut they sent I to bet. me. I watched, I told them, I said, it's going to be a while. And then I watched the first five minutes and I was like, okay, this is amazing. Really excited. And then I would watch in like little chunks. And then it took me a while to kind of process that. And then a few days went by and I'm like, okay, I think I'm ready for part two. <laughs>
1: So there's there's you obviously he was your dad you know him differently than anybody else, but then there's us and you know someone I grew up with George Carlin I grew up the seven dirty words I could I could recite them just as easily as they all could and I could from a very young age, it's part of our shared experience George Carlin was that. To my generation, your generation, we're we're about the same age. We grew up with him. And so the people have an ownership. Oh, he was my guy. And you think of him, at least I do, when something big happens, like the Supreme Court the other day, hearing what they're going to do on Roe v. Wade, and it's just horrible. And you know what? There's a George Carlin bit for that, and sure enough, it's making its way around the internet. He was so prescient. That's the thing that keeps people keep saying, "My God, he called this. He knew it. He was so ahead of his time." And do you see that more and more as you go through this footage?
0: Well, yeah, I think this was part of the reason that um, we, you know, it was one of the first things Judd said to us when we talked to him about possibly doing this project is you know, he's, he's trending all the time. Like Mm -hmm. he's always on the internet and his stuff is, is completely relevant. It has not dated it at all. There's a few moments and a few things where, you know, he updated language around it or something like that, or, you know, would probably not talk about these days, something he did 50, 40 years ago. Um, But 99% of it, it's completely relevant. And part of, I think that is, is because he was very much paying attention Always about mm-hmm. what was going obviously. on, obviously, and, and and we can and you know and as citizens or whatever, our job isn't is to pay attention the best we can, but we also have everything else on our plate going on. But that was his professional job, was to sit around and watch the culture and point things out. He's a professional observer, so um, you know he saw a lot of it, and he was fearless. He was fearless in talking about what he saw and finding a way to talk about it that really landed on our lap so that we would have to pay attention while he was saying. And at the same time, you know, life is distracting and, uh, you know, it, it is what it is, right. You know, gee, if we'd all paid attention, right. But of course we'd all paid attention, you know, 60 years ago about the you know, the destruction of the planet, that would have been nice too.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, and we sorta of did. I mean, I remember we we'd celebrate Earth Day. We'd say, Hey, turn off lights, <laughs> you know. Um, you know, drive yeah, no, when,
0: I mean, but, but that's his point
1: always. Right, I mean, I know, the whole
0: planet right? is fine point, is like, yeah, you can sort your recycling, but it ain't gonna help. We're going away, people. You know, this is too big of a thing. This is you know we're 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 not quite smart enough to handle what we're doing here you know and, and and our greed will always win out i mean that was really the point of that was that baby boomers had turned into yuppies and that the people who were celebrating earth day are suddenly now you know uh overusing everything so
1: you know <laughs> right you listen to him and whatever the monologue is whatever the bit is it it just yeah it's common sense but he's the one who put it all together to say wait a minute this and that it it sounds like a no brainer to us but george carlin's the one who put who thought that and put it into words and made us go yeah
0: yeah i mean that that was his genius his genius really was, was being able to observe being able to find a way in with an angle that would make people sit up whether it was language or humor, it it always was language and humor, Uh, the rhythm of the moment, um, how he built a piece. I mean, Mm -hmm. he was an orator. He was a, he was a monologist. He was an artist at this particular art form, which is persuasive speech on top of that. He was funny. He was goofy. He was a physical comic. You know, he had so many gifts that he could layer all of those things on to bring us to where he wanted us to meet him,
1: right? And and he did it beautifully. I mean, we feel like we know him. Um, obviously, <clears throat> you know, we don't. There's the the private side that you see, which you have shared with us again in in the book and the and the show, um, and just in conversation. When you decided to do this and say your know, first time you met with John Apato, did you? Did, was there anything you said that you want people to? understand about your dad when they're done watching it
0: Yeah I, I wanted them to see him as a as a fully rounded human that he was a man. he was a husband, a son, a father, uh, an artist always looking for his voice and his and his path forward um, a brother uh, you know he was he was all of these things and he was not perfect. He had his own, uh, you know, monkeys on his own back. Mm -hmm. He struggled with his own addiction. He struggled with my mother's addiction. We all did in the household, Um, you know, and he struggled with doubt and, you know, at times. And I wanted I wanted the you know, as you know, Nicole, that's my gig. My gig is take the mask off and let's all remember that we're all humans here. We're all doing the best we can. You know, there's no manual, there's no instruction book for this stuff. We're just trying to figure it out. And I think the most beautiful thing that's revealed in this documentary is that he was a man who, who had, had dark moments, had confusions, had all of that, but he was also someone who really figured out his values very clearly in his life and, um, and knew who he was very early on around those values and uh really stood up for them in his work every single day
1: and it, and it came through i mean i think his work uh, more than you know all comedians are different they all take their cues from a, a different part of their innards i guess and and that's why they're all unique but i think what what was so appealing about him was that it was always things we could relate to. He would pick up on that issue or that thing. And it's like, yeah, I always knew that was there, <laughs> but I never quite observed it in that manner.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah. He, he, you know, he was... Uh, you know, he, and he had so many different phases, which we, you know, the documentary really covers okay. really well, all the different phases and decades of his life and career. Uh, But he in the, you know, really his job was chief observer. Mm-hmm. You know, he observed life. He observed his own personal life and the little moments he would talk about that we shared. You know, I, I don't know however many other people listening to this today know the bit where he talks about you know when you go into the loaf of bread you always go past two or three pieces <laughs> you leave you leave the front ones for your family but you always <laughs> dig in and get the fresh ones I do it every day yep. and every time I do it I think of my dad right you know because those are these little moments and he was such a capturer of those little moments and then He also had this bigger view where he would watch the culture, you know, and it started off very early, even with Burns and Carlin in uh, 1960, 61, where they were doing commentary about the media. They were doing a lot of advertising bits. They were already saying to the culture, you know, these people are playing you and and we're observing this thing going on and, you know, it's going on and we're know it's but nobody ever talks about that. It's going on. Mm-hmm. And and but they were doing it in a very subtle way. It was always very cute and funny and all that kind of stuff. But there was always this thread of social commentary underneath all of it all the time. And so these two big bits, the personal life and the social life, the life we all share as citizens and humans on this earth, he was fascinated about how it's constructed. What are we saying about it? How, what are we pretending not to see? You know, that's I think a big thing and I, and it's so interesting because you know, my love of depth psychology and the shadow and all of that. I mean, I'm always asking for myself and clients in the world, what are we pretending not to see? Mm. What is actually influencing us over here? And I really do feel like my dad and I both inherited that real inquisitiveness about, you know, what are we not talking about, but the thing that's actually in the room here with all of us?
1: Oh, yeah, uh, I, I can see that. And I'll tell you something, There's there are days that I think – I would love to hear George Carlin's take on this. I would have loved to hear him on Trump as president because there's a
0: whole thing going on there. All you need to do is, you know, go back to the owners of America, that bit. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he would throw it out here and there. He never went directly at them, but he he always had a, a real thick, thick attitude of disdain for any white male in power in this country. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, that there's, there's this white male perspective and, and it was always interesting to me because it's like, well, but you're a white male dad. Like, how do you feel about that? I would have, would have loved to as asked him that question, you know, right. what it's like, what is it like for you to know that kind of your slot in society is, is doing such harm. And I think part of what drove him to point these things out is because There was a part of him that like probably felt complicit. He knew he had privilege from day Mm -hmm. one. He understood privilege when no one even called it that back then. Right. You know, I mean, he very early on in my life, seven, eight, nine years old, telling me about how, you know, the white people have, you know, oppressed the brown person and the black person in this country from day zero, you know, so he, he very much had that perspective. So. If you pay attention to what he actually said about power, yeah. white males, wealth, um, the underdog, the oppressed, um, who's got the real power, who doesn't, you know exactly where he oh, would sure, stand on sure. Donald Trump. The
1: uh, the other thing that I think he would go off on is the what I refer to as opposite world nature of things, the lies, that just the mendacity that's part of everyday life now. The fact these. Damn Supreme court justices lied during their confirmation hearings. Every it's, it's like acceptable to lie now and it's projection too, because you know, it's, I'm rubber, your glue kind of thing. Right.
0: Right? Well, I, I have a very, probably pretty uh, strong feeling that his take would be really you're surprised. Right. They've been, they've been lying since day one. Mm -hmm. Why would you be surprised now? Yeah. What, you know, um and 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 just the way you know i think the 80s really affected my dad i mean obviously every decade does but i really think you know that reagan era really we really saw the beginning of all of this in the reagan era without a doubt i mean this is where it all began and really where the 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 real foundation of this movement began and um i mean it's obviously splintered in its own little ways but this You know, this is all this is all been the writing on the wall for a long time. And I I really think my dad would come out and be like, you know, don't tell me you're surprised. Uh You know, I mean, the reason part of the reason the documentary is called George Carlin's American Dream is a he did live the American dream. uh, But b, you know, that great line that he talks about, you know, that you have to be asleep to believe in it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So here we are here, we, here are. we are and 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 now there's no secrets now all of the underbelly and shadow of this country is all all you know right in the center of all of us and here it is right on the stage and um, this could be a really really good thing for this country because in order for a human being to heal they have to own their shit. right dish. they have to look at every part of them that is ugly that is horrific that is not generative and they need to learn to be with it in a different way. And I really do believe that this is what's happening on this planet that yeah. if we're going to make it as a species, this is an act, a psychological act that we have to do, which is look at the dark nature of humanity and the and and the way human beings treat each other.
1: Well, there's a lot of it out there right now. This is this is a very very dark time. I want to end on something that, it well, it seems dark, but it's it maybe not so much. Um, it seems to me that the comedy community is very supportive and very uh, close-knit. And, and, and I could be getting it all wrong because I'm sure it's like any other community, creative or not, where there's backstabbing and there's ugliness. But not too long ago, Gilbert Gottfried died. I know his wife. I knew Dara before... Before she and Gilbert got married, I knew her during the time they were dating for 10 years. I actually watched the memorial service online and the love, I mean, of from other comedians, from the community, the outpouring that I've seen around them. It seems like the community comes together as it did when Bob Saget died. And, and you know, I, I'm just wondering if your dad was part of that, if he was friendly with other uh, the, with these other comedians or if he was uh, in a different time.
0: Uh, he, I didn't know much about that part of my dad's life, but after he died, I certainly found out that, you know, he would reach out to comics. There were certain comics he talked to, uh, certain people he supported and mentored along the way. Um, he had a great respect for a lot of those guys, a lot of the ones that just have, have recently gone, yeah. you know? Um, and, uh, so, you know, he wasn't a guy who hung out with people. He was very much a loner. He was more of a writer, kind of a personality. Uh but he he had an easy laugh and you know you could make him laugh pretty pretty easily. Uh and he loved obviously daring intelligent comedy. And uh so uh yeah, you know, he went to his fair share of memorials too. I'm sure. I'm sure.
1: Was there anybody that he idolized? Any like comedian or philosopher or person that he looked up to especially?
0: Um, well, obviously, Lenny Bruce was a big influence on my father. Uh, Lord Buckley was another one who was a big influence on my dad. And and he knew uh, he knew the family. Um, and he, uh, you know, he he respected uh, a lot of great thinkers and and things like that, you know, uh, Hitchens and Dawkins and people like that, even though he was more agnostic than a full on kind of a, uh, you know, an, a hardcore atheist, right. al- although, you know, he didn't believe in the God that the church certainly handed <laughs> him to, handed, handed to him. Uh, but he was fascinated in quantum physics and, and all sorts of things, uh, Noam Chomsky and Kurt Vonnegut and, and Kurt Vonnegut, uh, you know, Vonnegut. just, just great, great thinkers.
1: Awesome. So the, the, the special, is there anything in it that surprised you?
0: Yeah, there's a lot of audio that I'd never heard, and there was some footage about some things that I'd never seen, and it was really great to just hear my dad talk in his own voice. There's a lot of audio they found. I I love that it's not a talking head type of documentary. There's some, a few moments, but it's only really to make a comment or to shift the conversation or or in some way it's not overused. Mostly you're hearing my dad's story from his own voice. They did an incredible job of putting this material together. And um, yeah, you know, so there's just moments where my dad's talking in this audio where he's, you know, I just stuff. I never talked to him about that. I just, I love getting to hear and see and uh, and really hear him Working out some things and thinking about some things in his own way and talking about his personal his personal approach to his work and stuff is it's really cool. I can't wait.
1: You know, I I thought I was going to hopefully get a screener to see before we spoke, but it, it didn't show up. And it's like, that's just fine. Because we can talk and then I can watch it this weekend with everyone else. So it is George Carlin's American Dream on HBO. David thanks you because Friday is his birthday. So he said, thank you for the lovely gift. He's That's excited. Awesome. We know what we're doing for his birthday. Um, yeah. And really, there's nothing we'd rather do. It's, it's, we're excited. So um, Kelly Carlin, it's always great to see you. And, and I love that you did this. Uh, one last question. How old were you when you lost your dad?
0: I lost my mom 25 years ago. So I was 34 when I lost my mom and then 45 when I lost my dad. You know,
1: and it it hits us. It's whatever time in our life it hits us, but it stays with you. And it's like that snapshot in time that you don't ever move on from. And you think about things that happened after, after I lost my mom, after you lost your dad. And it's just the world goes on, but you're kind of stuck there with them at that moment. I'm just, I don't know that there's a question there, but it's just thinking about all the, the time since then and what how he would react or how you would react. And I, I, yeah. I know he'd be very proud of you, just look at him.
0: Yeah, I, I think he would. You know, I, I still have conversations with him and my mom all the time. That's so great. I really believe that the ancestors are with us and that they are here to guide and to to walk with us. And I can hear his voice clearly speaking to me and my mom also. And so I, I hang out with them often. And when I need some advice or need a gut check, I check in with them because they're there and they look me right in the eye and they tell me, go for it. You know, you know what you're doing, Kelly, go for it. So. I love it. A kiddo. And your <laughs> kiddo did call yes, you kiddo, exactly. right? I, you did. I remember
1: that from the book. So I, I yeah. hear it. I can hear him say it to you. Kelly Carlin. thank you so much. Thank you for putting this out there because I think, you know what, right now, we could all use some George Carlin. Isn't that how the saying goes? Times like these, more George Carlin? Well, it should be. All right. We'll take a quick time out, come back on the other side, and one last nod to Memorial Day 2022. I'm Nicole Sandler, filling in today for Brad and Desi on the broadcast. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Nicole Sandler, your guest host today. Filling in for Brad and Desi, you know, we only get a day for Memorial Day. The Senate's off for two weeks, so just saying. Didn't want to let Memorial Day come and go without touching on the politics because the military is pretty political and it tends to lean very right. But that doesn't mean progressives should stay away from the military. In fact, there's a veterans group That's all about progressives. So let me introduce you to Common Defense. All right, joining us on the line now is the political director for an organization called Common Defense. They're at CommonDefense.us, Naveed Shah. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. And we're here today because it's Memorial Day. And uh, you are the political director of a, a group of progressive. Veterans, right? Tell us about common defense.
2: Sure, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Nicole. Common defense is a was really a movement that started in 2015, uh, and our founders met at a protest outside of Trump Tower, Uh, and they, you know, realized back then that when the 2016 election happened, that this couldn't just be a flash in the pan. This needed to become a sustained movement and a sustained organization. Uh, so they created common defense. And we spent much of the past four years fighting against Trump and all of the hate and vitriol that he stood for. Uh, and now we are continuing to do so in advocating for issues that our constituency of progressive veterans care about. Uh, and one of the biggest things to talk about first, just off the bat, is that Progressive veterans are a constituency. Everyone thinks that there are conservative veterans and that's it. But the fact of the matter is that veterans are span the breadth uh, of uh, America just like everyone else does. And uh, there are a lot more of us out there than people realize.
1: And that's the thing that we don't realize because we do hear the horror stories. First, from all fronts where it seems like the military is populated with an overabundance of right-wingers. Um, you look at, you know, the military uh, religious, uh, I, now I'm drawing a blank on their name, um, military religious freedom foundation uh, mm-hmm. th- that, that fights back against religious extremism in the military to the point where there's Bible verses engraved on weapon sites and things like that, things that we don't know about. But I guess a religious zealotry has infiltrated the military. So you guys have to contend with that. Um To a lot of right-wing, we know that there was a pretty strong military and police presence on January 6th. So we need to hear that there are progressives in the military because, frankly, it doesn't seem like there are.
2: Yeah, and and the fact of the matter is that the demographics are changing. You know, who we thought veterans were, or even now when you think about a veteran, you're often thinking of a certain type of person. Uh, But in an all-volunteer force that largely recruits from the poorest sections of America, uh, women and minorities are actually the fastest-growing segment of veterans. Uh, And so as those demographics are changing, we see that Uh, the ideals and and the values that we hold as a country are being much more reflected in our force and and in our veteran population.
1: Well, that's great. And and I'm glad that that, that Common Defense exists so we can hear about the progressive veterans. In fact, I know one, I I don't know if he's a member of yours, and I'm frankly surprised he's not on your endorsement page at CommonDefense.us. But Lucas Kuntz, who's running for the U.S. Senate from Missouri, is certainly a progressive and definitely a veteran.
2: And you know what? It's really funny you say that. I was talking to Lucas Kunz's campaign manager earlier this week. Uh, so uh, stay stay tuned for more good news.
1: <laughs> good, because he deserves to be among the candidates you've endorsed. And I'm looking at the pages. John Fetterman and Stacey Abrams, Greg Kazar, Jessica Cisneros, uh, Marcus Flowers. So you're right in line with my listeners and where I am. And so it's great to meet you. I mean, there are other veterans groups that... Are somewhat progressive, but the fact that that's your main thrust, I love it, and I, I'm glad to introduce you to the listeners who don't know about CommonDefense.us. So, one of the issues that you are rightfully concerned about and want to raise some awareness of in this uh, this Memorial Day is the um, the the vets who are suffering as a result of um, what you call toxic. Toxic Materials Exposure, those are the burns, right, that that take place on the bases around uh, the, the world, yes? And what happens there?
2: Yeah, so I was deployed to Iraq in 2009, uh, and actually from between 2009 and 2010, the Department of Defense uh, issued a new rule that they were supposed to stop using these burn pits uh, but they didn't in many places they they just didn't have any other choice uh, and those burn pits is, is how we got rid of waste you know whether it was garbage or medical waste or munitions or any all types of things uh we're just thrown into these giant pits and then set on fire with jet fuel or, or other, uh, or diesel or other things like that. And a lot of times it was up to the youngest soldiers to stand there with a stick and stir Uh that mess to make sure it, it all got burned away. Uh, and you know, we suffered from, from that now, like years and years later veterans are suffering from all types of diseases that, you, we many of us have never even heard of uh, you know, uh, uh, carcinomas and uh, I can't even pronounce all of them, but there, there's a list. And and what this bill this legislation does the honoring our pact act that was passed by the house in March and is currently up for debate in the senate um, it it, it makes it so that the, vet- the veterans affairs health administration will presumptively assume that veterans who serve in these areas near these burn pits. Uh, have disabilities related to it and are able to get the health care that they need. Right now, veterans have to jump through so many hoops. Uh, and, you know, that's really par for the course for, for, for America, where we write a giant check to send folks overseas. But when they come home and they need care, now all of a sudden money is an issue. Uh, and so uh, what this bill does is make it, makes it so that veterans can get the care that they need. This is our, really our generation's Agent Orange
0: yeah it
1: is, and um you know I guess we should thank John Stewart for calling attention to this because this is now after the nine eleven uh fund getting that going and uh, I don't know where that stands right now this is where he's putting his energies and and I guess it takes a big name celebrity to get out there and talk about what's going on because it's hard to cut through all the noise so that is a big issue. Um, it, it, let me ask you about the VA today, because I understand that veterans do get great medical care if you can work your way through the system. The core of the VA medical uh, is is terrific, but there are, I guess, bureaucratic issues. Is it getting any better? What, what's What's the status of the VA now?
2: You know, years and years ago, I started out in this work, working specifically on veterans issues because of how much trouble the VA was in. There was a huge scandal at the Phoenix, Arizona VA, uh, and that was just one example of all the different scandals that that the VA has faced. And luckily, over the years, things have gotten better. Uh, they, the VA is doing a lot better job of caring for our community. Um, part of what this legislation does is expand access to care. And that's one huge a- aspect of this is that a lot of people think that, oh, you serve in the military, you get free health care for life. That, that's not the case. Actually, the vast majority of veterans don't, uh, really? aren't eligible for VA health care. Yeah. You, you have to either be injured or retired or ha- go through a, another process to, in order to be qualified to use the VA. Um, And so while the majority of veterans aren't on VA care, they have to rely on the civilian system anyway. So what part of what this bill does is is opens it up so that almost three and a half million uh, veterans will now become eligible for VA care. So with that, we also need to make sure that the VA expands its capacity to provide this care that that we're gonna need. Uh, And they need to be able to hire doctors. Currently the VA has a shortfall of almost 50,000 employees and and the majority of those are nurses and doctors and other medical professionals. Uh, We need to make sure that the VA is able to provide Provide the care that they're promising.
1: You know, uh, something that I've often wondered about is if if we had Medicare for all, this would be a moot point, right? Because veterans could also get medical care under that and the VA could deal with veterans' issues without having to deal with medical care. A- and then all of our citizens could have good medical care, which, you know, is, should be the goal, right?
2: Yeah. That's, that's a huge thing that our constituency of progressive veterans care about a lot, because we realize that even in in places where you have a veteran in the household who is on the VA healthcare system, their family's not right. Right. Their family is not able to get that care. Uh, And so Medicare for all would uplift everybody because it would provide for their families and it would really help us save the VA from this privatization that's been going on. A lot lot of people think the solution to fixing the VA is to push veterans out of the VA system and go to get care in the private community, oh, God, no. but VA, v, VA healthcare specialists. They specialize in caring for ailments that come from military service. And, uh, and like you said earlier, veterans by and large, who've received care at the VA love their, their doctors love their their clinics and want to continue using them. All Medicare for all would do is make it so that everybody has a similar level of access because with private insurance, You sure you might have some choice. That's really uh, (laughs) isn't really a choice. choice If your insurance company says that 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 doctor is not uh, part of our network or this doctor is not part of our network with Medicare for all veterans will be able to use the VA where appropriate. And if veterans in rural communities or those who just choose not to go to the VA will be able to go to a private doctor uh, of their choice and be able to get the care that they want.
1: Right. It just makes sense, doesn't it? Um, it really uh, does. You know, uh, Navid Shah is with us, political director of the uh, organization for Progressive Veterans. It's called Common Defense. They're online at commondefense.us. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about our gun problem here in the U.S. Within two weeks, two mass shootings. The one in Buffalo killed ten people, and then this Texas elementary school. I'm just reeling from it still thinking that 10 years ago we should have stopped this after Sandy Hook. Well, Sandy Hook never should have happened. But here we are 10 years later, 19 dead children, babies, second to fourth grade. There's no excuse for this. And again, the shooter on his 18th birthday purchased two assault weapons. These are weapons of war. Is there any reason a civilian uh, who goes hunting should ever have an AR-15?
2: you know, if you're going hunting with AR-15s, then you're not really bringing much back because it's going to leave a pretty big hole in that deer. Uh, and so that, that argument really never made sense to me. And honestly, this morning, uh, I have three kids yeah. and you know, my, my daughters were helping me make my coffee this morning and, and I just saw, stood there watching them. And I was like, wow, like there are, you know, 20 families at home without, without their kids today. Uh, and it's, horrific you know when Horrible. we think about this it, it, common sense gun laws are really a, a continuation of our of what we did in the military in the military we didn't we, if we weren't at war we didn't carry our weapons everywhere uh-huh. we had an armory to store safely store our weapons right we checked them in and out we accounted for every round of ammunition uh, we and we had, you know, the military's mental health care system is not the best in the world, but we had a team around us so that when we if you're downrange and you have a, a soldier who's you think it might be a danger to themselves or others, you are able to take their weapon, provide them with the care and treatment that they need. And then when they're ready to come back on the line, that then we can have that discussion. But. To just have a free for all the way we do is, you know, absolutely terrifying. And, and the other aspect of this that, you know, the gun control is definitely one one big piece. But the other thing that happened in Buffalo was the radicalization uh, of that of that young man. You know, he went online and read terrible things and took them to heart. Um, and we really have to address this, that Scrooge of white supremacy. That's that's, you know, really haunting our country at the moment. There all
1: are
2: you know, millions of young people who are very easily influenced, and we have to address the the core of that issue that they're not being uh, radicalized. It seems like the dark corners of the web uh, are, are always come up, but it's happening live on mainstream TV every every night in prime time as well. So we really That's need right. to figure out who's you know who's responsible for this and 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 hold them responsible for it
1: you know uh navita i want to bring up i want to hone in on one point that you made there because i don't think enough people realize this the other night as they were trying to identify the remains of these children i heard that they had some of the parents who were waiting gave dna samples now to identify the kids and that's because of the carnage because of the the, the scene that was left there. An AR-15, you say it's not good for hunting because these weapons are designed to do maximum damage. So the bullet hits and then it shatters, right? So mm-hmm. what was left there were probably, you know, the Republicans like to talk about body parts of aborted children. Well, children aren't aborted. Um, zygotes, maybe, uh, but not children. In this case, children were Killed, were murdered, were probably dismembered and in pieces because of the weapon used to murder them, right?
2: Yeah, it, it was It's absolutely really horrific to think about. And, and you know... Allowing these weapons just to just proliferate without any sort of regulation at all. I mean, that's not even in at the in the broadest reading of the Second Amendment. That's not even in that reading. It, regulation is the key. Just like well you regulate regulated cars.
1: militia. To me, that sounds like the National Guard.
2: Yeah, it really should be. And and, and if someone really needs that uh, those type, that type of weaponry, they should probably ask themselves what do i need this for uh and, and am i going to be a responsible gun owner can i keep my weapon locked up safely can i keep my ammunition locked up safely and, and if you're you know in the case of this the young man in texas if you see some someone like that purchasing those weapons your first response as a family member should be, "Why? what's happening here? Why, why are you doing this? Why do you think this is necessary? And many state, states have enacted something called red flag laws, mm-hmm. which allow family members and uh, others who are concerned about, uh, uh, you know, somebody to go to court and say, I think this person is a danger to themselves or others, and we need to remove the weapons from their household until they get some treatment and, and, and are safe again. And I think that allows for due process. That mm-hmm. allows for, uh, you know, it's not just somebody coming to your, to your home Taking your gun, a judge at least has to review it. And I think those kind of laws, at the very minimum, states could start enacting those uh, immediately.
1: Absolutely. You know, there was some talk after Newtown that maybe they should have released crime scene photos so people could be shocked at what they see. Maybe if people understand the damage done by these weapons of war, um, maybe that would shock this nation into doing something. What are your thoughts on yeah. that? You know, it's it's
2: scary to think about and and, and even to, to imagine what that would look like. And, yeah. and having been to Iraq and Afghanistan, like many of our veterans have, um, you know, I don't think we want to see that. And I hope that our senators and, and our members of Congress are listening that, you know, we don't want this to get any more extreme than it already has. Like, what more do you need to see to take action?
1: Right. How, how do they not know it at all? Um, or, or how do they not come to terms with what's going on? We have a, you know, we're, we're coming through the COVID pandemic. Our gun violence pandemic is a hell of a lot worse because um, you, you don't know when it's coming. You can't really prepare against it. You send your kid off to school in the morning thinking that they're safe and now nothing yeah. is safe. Um, one last topic for you because yet yeah, we're out of Afghanistan, thank God. Well, now we have Putin waging war on Ukraine and we're seeing these Russian troops not only destroying this magnificent country and its thousands of years of history, but terrorizing and brutalizing and um, torturing innocent Russians from the elderly to babies. The stories we're hearing are just sickening. Um, are, are we doing the right thing in Ukraine? What, what should we be doing now?
2: You know, it's a really difficult balancing act when it comes to to the foreign policy, especially in a situation like Ukraine, uh, because we saw what happened in Iraq uh, and we saw what happened in Afghanistan and and many other countries around the world where the U.S. has been involved and our troops have been deployed over the past 20 years in this global war on terror, as we've called it. Um, Getting us entrenched into another conflict is not the way we should go. We should try our best to avoid sending U.S. troops in because, honestly, I don't think it's going to make the situation better. Uh, I think it it will be escalatory, and when you have somebody like Vladimir Putin at the helm, you don't know what his reaction might be. And if, If he decides to react in the worst possible way, well, that, you know... Could be a pretty big blast. But he could also he could also
1: he could also choose to react in the worst possible way because he's getting his ass handed to him in Ukraine when he thought it was going to take 48 hours and the country would fall. So it's not necessarily dependent on what we do. And we're seeing these innocent people getting slaughtered.
2: Yeah, no, and we're doing the, our best to provide as much support to them as we can, uh, you know. And, and it is it is hard to see those images for sure. Um, and I know for you know from our own you know point of view that there are, are a lot of veterans who are our members who have decided to go and fight in Ukraine themselves mm-hmm. uh, because for them, after serving in you know Afghanistan or in Iraq, which the justification for those was tenuous at best uh and i think we even heard president bush say something recently about iraq that oh, was a little yeah. too on the nose but for, for them now seeing this situation in ukraine is for many of them it's like there's a clear good and bad here there's a clear right and wrong and it's easy for me to to justify why i want to go fight and so it's t- it's a really difficult challenge for us because we don't want to I don't want to see another generation of young Americans get dragged into this. Um, but, you know, at the same time, it is hard to see uh, what's happening in Ukraine to the to the civil- innocent civilians and uh, not think what more can we do?
1: Exactly. That's a tough balancing act. You just yeah, I, I would think that the world has a way to stop a madman from slaughtering innocent people and destroying a country and yet it seems like the the world is afraid to take him on because he might use his nukes. Well, you know what? He might use them anyway. I I am not a warmonger. This it's it's it kills me to even be thinking this way, but yet when we hear the stories of they found 1500 bodies in Kiev, just outside of Kiev, you realize what's going on over there and how can this man be allowed to continue doing this? I it,
2: yeah, it's a we, we really need our, our European allies to step up and do more on their on their end as well, because uh, it's not just on America, uh, you know, well, it's it's on everybody. To help that's out. true. Yeah.
1: You know, oh, and finally, you did mention George W. Bush, who in a moment of, you know, some say it's a Freudian slip. But, you know, what I say is maybe he's coming to the realization or admitting finally that he knows what he did was evil and wrong. For those who, who don't recall uh, hold on let me get the, the clip out. I know we've all heard it but it's it, it bears listening to again because it's so incredible. In contrast,
0: Russian elections are rigged.
1: Political opponents are imprisoned or otherwise eliminated from participating in the electoral process. The result is an absence of checks and balances in Russia. And the, the decision of one man to launch a wholly unjustified and brutal invasion of Iraq. I mean, of Ukraine. Iraq, too. Anyway. Iraq, uh, too, anyway. And well, I Iraq, put, too. Yeah. But he said that's the, that's the telling point to me. And the the laugh is a nervous laugh, and he always did that. The audience laughter was disconcerting. But the thing that stuck out to me is him saying, Iraq, too, but... What? Oh my god. You know,
2: we start that we started that war in two thousand three. I was I joined the army in two thousand six and I was worried back then that the war would be over by the time I finished my training. I ended up serving there in two thousand nine, came home in two thousand ten, and here we are in twenty twenty two and we still actually have troops stationed in Iraq. Of course. That, so that war hasn't really ended for us. And so, you know, on the 19th anniversary now of that, uh, I think it was earlier this month, the 19th anniversary of when he, President Bush stood on the, um, I think it was the USS Abraham Lincoln, uh, with the banner with his, mission with his accomplished piece, behind him.
1: Right. The cod piece on the banner, of course.
2: Yeah. Uh, we're, we're still there. And, and I think that's also goes back to Congress. Uh, you know, we need to, Past legislation that, allow, that makes it so that Congress does its job under the Constitution, which is its war powers authority. Abdicating that to the, to the executive too much is what has allowed wars like Iraq and Afghanistan and the, and the 38 under other countries we've been deployed to around the world for the past 20 years to fester.
1: Yeah, no kidding. Oh, we could keep going because there are so many issues here. But Naveed Shah, it's, it's great to meet you. And it's wonderful to find out that there is an organization for progressive veterans. It's Common Defense. They're online at commondefense.us. You can find them on Twitter at Common Defense and, and also follow you as well at Army of Navid. N-A-V-E-E-D. Um, Naveed Shah, thank you for joining us today. Really appreciate it and hope we can keep the lines of communication open because you know, progressives should not just cede the military to the right wingers. And it's good to know that there are uh, progressives within the military. A military, as much as I hate it, is necessary. Um, so it's good to know that that it's not all in the hands of, um, you know, the crazies.
2: <laughs> I guess. Thank you so much for having, having me, Nicole. And I really appreciate you and your listeners for for your support.
1: You got it. And just like that, we've reached the end of another edition of the Bradcast. I'm Nicole Sandler, your guest host today. You can always find me at NicoleSandler.com. And feel free to visit the website. There's tons of content there and no paywall. So enjoy. Big thanks to Kelly Carlin. Check out George Carlin's American Dream. I promise you, laughter is the best medicine. All right. Until next time, Nicole Sandler for Brad and Desi. Good luck.
0: Tomorrow.